Romans 15, verses 14 through 21. I, am, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way round to Illyricum I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Thanks, Debbie. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Again, great to be with you this morning. If you haven't already, go ahead and grab your Bibles, open up to Romans 15. We're going to start in verse 14. We're going to try to get through the end of this chapter. We'll see how it goes. We may go a while and just when it's time to stop, we'll cut it off and pick it up next week. But Romans 15, beginning in verse 14, um, there's a proverb, uh, really a word of wisdom that says this, whoever walks with wise men will be wise. The companion of fools will suffer harm. Now that's a word of wisdom from the book of Proverbs that you can sum up basically this way. Time spent in the presence of wise people is a very good thing. And this past week I was down in South Carolina and I had opportunity to be at a, it was a ministry event with Compassion International. If you know anything about Compassion International, there's a group of pastors that came together. Compassion International exists to bring children all over the world out of poverty and rescue children and introduce them to, the name, to, to Jesus. And you think, before you get too excited about how godly I was to be a part of that, it was a golf event, all right? So we played a little golf, we were talking about ministry, and, uh, just keeping it real, all right? Uh, my favorite part, I think, of the two days was we played around the golf and I, I was paired with this older gentleman in the golf cart, so for Two or three hours, I rode around with this 60, almost 70-year-old man of God, this pastor who had been pastoring for almost 45 years. And here I am still, I consider myself kind of a young buck, you know, still kind of cutting my teeth at this ministry thing. And I just wanted to ask him every question I could think of. He had been pastoring the same church for almost 30 years, been married to the same woman for up in 40 years. And I just said, man, tell me how you endure what does your personal life look like? How do you continue to love your wife and parent your kids? How do you stay in the same church and, and press on in ministry for 30 years? And he just spoke wisdom into my heart for two and a half hours. My golf game was horrible, but man, I gained some wisdom. Now here's what that has to do with, with Romans chapter 15. We are in the section now of Romans, really beginning in verse 14 of, of chapter 15 through the end of the book, that the Apostle Paul for 15 chapters has been laying a foundation of incredible doctrinal truth. 
the, the gospel and all the implications of the gospel and justification by faith alone and sanctification and glorification and who God is and all these incredible gospel truths for now these 15 chapters. Then you get to 15, starting around verse 14, and here's what we're reminded. The book of Romans was written by a man. And Paul's going to share some very personal things through the end of this book about his life and about how he sees his ministry. And it's like we get to pull up next to the Apostle Paul for a chapter and a half at the end of Romans and just say, Paul, tell me how you see your life. Paul, tell me how you see this ministry God has entrusted to you. Just pour wisdom into us. It's not the high, lofty, theological, high doctrine, so to speak, that the earlier chapters of Romans have been. But it's no less impactful in our lives. And I think painfully practical to us this morning. Paul, speak some wisdom into our lives. That's what we get for the next chapter and a half of the book of Romans. So Paul is writing, again, this letter, he's a very personal part of this letter now, back to a group of believers in the city of Rome, this church at Rome. He picks up in verse 14, and remember, Paul's never been to Rome. Paul's never even been to this church. He knows some people by way of transit, and he's crossed paths with some of them. They've communicated. He knows a lot of people there, but he's never been to this church. But he's heard a lot about this church. If you remember back in Romans chapter 1, it says, talking about them, he says, their faith has been proclaimed throughout the whole world. Man, the church at Rome has a very good reputation in this day. Imagine that, somebody saying, oh, you're at that church, Tri-Cities Baptist Church. Listen, around the world, they're talking about the faith of you people at Tri-Cities Baptist Church. That's what he's saying about the church at Rome. So he picks up here, verse 14, and he says this, he says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers. That you yourselves, and he's going to say three characteristics of this church, marks of maturity and marks of health of this local church here. He says, I'm convinced that you yourselves are full. The word full is a word of maturity. You are full of goodness. You're filled with all knowledge and you're able to instruct one another. He says three things about this church. These are very challenging and insightful for us this morning. He says, number one, you're full of all goodness. What does that mean? He's speaking to their moral character as a church collectively. He said, if if your church could be characterized this way, you people have a high character. You have a pursuit of holiness in your personal lives. You you are lovers of good and haters of evil. You're living out Romans 12, 9, where Paul said, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. And this is a godly bunch. Not perfect. They got problems. They got issues. It's people, right? But he says, you're pursuing what is good. You got high character. He goes on, he says, you're full of knowledge. Now, this is not just that they could all win at Bible trivia, right? That's not what this means. This means there is a deep, intimate understanding and place for the Word of God. They're people of the book. They're people of the truth of God's Word. And by the way, those two always go together. High character, high view of God's Word always go together. Right? And he says, out of that, out of this high character, this pursuit of godliness, out of this high view of the Scriptures, God's Word, he says this, end of verse 14, he says, you are able to instruct one another. 
Your translation may, may use the word admonish. That's what the NAS says. ESV says instruct one another. What in the world does that mean? Paul says, here's what I know about you. High character, high view of the word of God. And in that, watch, there is a culture in your church of mutual admonition and instructing of one another. This is a glorious thing, brothers and sisters. Paul says, I know that in this church, you to one another... There is encouragement, there is warning, there is advice, there is counsel, there is correction, there is rebuke going on. You are loving one another that way in the truth of God's word. You're admonishing one another. This is the responsibility. Watch this. Every believer, if you're here, especially if you're a member of this church and have made the membership promises that we talk about, you have said, as a member of this church, as a fellow believer, I have a responsibility to every other believer to call from error, to point out foolishness, to point them to the Lord Jesus, to admonish and instruct one another from a place of truth. That's a glorious thing in the church. That's a healthy church body. Can I just tell you what that is? What's this? That's the, that's the body of Christ discipling the body of Christ. That's not a professional view of discipleship that discipleship starts at the top and just kind of trickles it way, its way down. And, and our discipleship is just kind of as we look toward it. No, no. It's the body of Christ loving the body of Christ that you place yourself in environments where people are speaking truth into your life and you are so saturated with the word of God you love one another to also speak truth into the lives of one another and you step into this culture and man I pray if you step into this culture called Trust Cities Baptist Church there's people that love you enough to admonish and encourage and instruct and correct that's what churches do I heard this statement, it says this, Woe to the man or woman who has no one speaking truth or calling out their sin or lovingly pointing them to Jesus. Woe to that man or woman who doesn't have that. That's a scary thing. Paul says, here's some things I know about you. Full of goodness, filled with knowledge, able to instruct one another. He goes on, he says, verse 15, But on some points I've written to you very boldly. I would say that's an understatement, right? As we walk through the book of Romans, there's some tough stuff in the book of Romans. Paul said, I'm not writing to you like I think you're some immature church. I think you're a very mature church. I want you to excel still more. I want you to keep pressing on. He says, I've written to you by, very boldly by way of reminder. One of the things that, the, that believers continually need is not necessarily always learning something new. Sometimes I just need, need to be reminded of what God's already said. Right? Paul said, I, I'm boldly reminding you. Now watch this. He goes on and he says, Because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Stop right there. Paul says, I've written, I've instructed, I've poured my heart out to you because the grace of God in my life, the same grace that has saved me, the same grace that will carry me home, has entrusted a ministry to me. 
He says, I've been entrusted by God the ministry of you, the Gentiles, to instruct and teach and counsel and invest my life in you. That's the pivot point of this chapter I want you to see. And I want you to see that this morning. Here's your big truth. We're going to have one big truth for the day. And ready for this? Everybody's going to clear their throat and go, oh, mercy. We're going to have one big truth and seven big ideas. All right? We can do it. We can do it. Big truth. God calls and enables every believer to minister in the lives of others. I want you to feel the weight of that. Paul says, by the grace of God, I've been entrusted with this ministry. When you hear the word ministry, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to think of professional, full-time, vocational ministry like myself. There, there are those who are called, and we, that's our vocational calling, ministry. I want you to think of this, this entrusting that has been given to every believer. The same grace that saves you is also a grace that calls you to service. It's also a grace that calls you to invest your life into the lives of others. And that's what Paul is saying here. He said, all this that I'm doing, all this ministry I have back to you, Romans, is because God has given me the grace of this ministry. That may be in church environment. That may be in the marketplace. That primarily may be in your home. This overflow of Jesus in you overflowing out into the lives of other people. That's ministry. Now, what Paul's going to do in a way that I'm telling you, I've been so excited about this this week. I think this is so practical and so helpful for us as a church. He's going to list some descriptors of how he sees his ministry. How he sees his service to this church and to these Gentiles. And it helps us to draw some applications into our life to see how our service to one another and to others is to look. He says, I have received grace, end of verse 15, 16, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Let's keep reading. He says, in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Priestly service. What are you talking about, Paul? He says, so that... The offering, okay, offering, priest offering, those things kind of go together, okay, I kind of, what do you, he goes on, he says, the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul, how do you see your ministry that's been entrusted to you by God? Here's what Paul would say based on verse 16, I see myself as a priest. Hang with me. Paul is drawing an illusion and an example from the Old Testament priests who were a group of people that were called out, set apart, entrusted by God to be worshipers. And their worship involved different things, but primarily they were the ones that in response to the greatness of God would continually bring offerings and sacrifice to God, declaring how great God is. And all these offerings were simply in response to who God was, because God's worth it. There were these priests. Now, listen to me, don't miss this. Paul is not saying in the Catholic understanding, I'm a priest, and if you want to get to God, you've got to go through me. That's not biblical. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. Paul's not saying you've got to go through me to get to God. That doesn't exist. Sorry. But 
Paul says some of the mindset, some of the ministry of priests teaches us now in the new covenant. Paul says in the same way, my ministry to you as Gentiles, I pour out my life, I serve, I give, I instruct, I travel around the world, and all of that is to see you grow in Christ's likeness. Watch this. And I see you as an offering that I present back to God because God is worth it. He says, I see my ministry like a priest. And my ministry is an act of worship, offering people, people, back to God as an acceptable sacrifice. Not to appease God. Only Jesus absorbs the wrath of God. He's not saying that. But because God is worth it, in response to his greatness, he says, my life is like a priest. So here's your, we've already talked about the big truth. God calls and enables every believer to minister in the lives of others. Here's big idea number one. We serve as priests. What does that mean? First Peter helps us. Peter says this. You yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. So, Pastor Mike, does that mean I have to wear a funny hat and some kind of robe? No, 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 that's not what he's talking about. He says, but you, your ministry in the lives of others, your offering back to God because of his grace in your life, into 1 Peter 2, 5, is to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. How? Through Jesus Christ. In other words, none of these sacrifices are meritorious in their own. Well, look, if I do this and give this back to God, he's going to love me more. No, no, no. That's all because of Jesus. These sacrifices are acts of worship because of who God is. So, Pastor Mike, okay, so that's our ministry. What are those spiritual sacrifices Peter's talking about here? Well, here's some the Bible talks about. You can just write these down really quick. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says we present ourselves, our whole lives. It's a living sacrifice, right? So we present ourselves. Hebrews 13, 5 says, we offer the fruit of our lips, continually offering up a sacrifice of praise. Praise can be a spiritual sacrifice. Hebrews 13, 6 says, share what you have, such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So it could be monetary, uh, uh, tangible offerings back to the Lord in light of who God is. But Paul says here, watch this, spiritual sacrifices might be people. Might be those people whom you have been given the privilege and responsibility of investing your life into their lives. And Paul says, I see the Gentiles that I've been called to serve like that. I've laid down my life. I've suffered. I've sacrificed. But all of it, Paul says, I see it as an act of worship presented back to God. Because he is worth it. See that? We're priests. Your ministry in the lives of people here, through this church, through the marketplace, in your home. Paul says, listen, I don't come to God empty-handed. He said, I got these offerings I'm presenting to God, and they're people. It's like this. Where is your offering of people that you've invested your life in? Where are those that you have introduced to Jesus that have heard the gospel through your lips? Not because God needs you, but because God has entrusted you with that to share the gospel. Where is that offering of people that are now followers of the Lord Jesus Christ because God's used you? Where is your offering that those you have invested in and are growing in their maturity in Christ? 
They're not who they used to be because you're investing time and energy and efforts. Where are those that you have helped strengthen a marriage? Where is that employee that you've taken under your wing and pointed him to Jesus? Where is that fellow athlete on the field that you've invested and shared truth with? Moms and dads, let me say this starts at home with the investment of your children. That you invest time and it gets hard and tough and I know that. Paul says, see it as worship. See, it is a priest who doesn't come to God empty-handed, but says, I've invested in people, and I'm offering them back to you, Lord, because you are worth it. Isn't that good? And I was just thinking through this this week, and I, we're not going to spend as much time on every point. We can't. You all are just listening so slow. It's crazy. But anyway, I, I thought about this week. In our church, I, I thought about Greg and Carol and Oliphant. I texted Greg this week, and I said, Greg, a member of our church since the beginning, how long have you been serving in the children's ministry at Tri-Cities? And he said, we've been serving there since 1992. In one way or another, in one capacity at our church. 27 years that couple has invested their lives in the lives of children to come alongside parents and invest the gospel. Man, they're not coming empty-handed. they got some people that God has used them in their lives to point them toward Jesus. I think about Dave McCauley and Susan, here, members of our church, they have led nonprofit ministries in our city and invested in leaders in our city to raise up gospel-centered nonprofits in our city. Man, they're not coming empty-handed. They got some offerings of people that they've invested in to offer back to God. You met Jonathan and Joanna Chapman who serve the BCM and invest their lives in college students at such a critical age for years and years. They've poured their lives into college students. They're not coming empty-handed doesn't earn them favor with God that's not it but in light of who God is and here's my offering of people that I've invested in here's the question from this God has called us and enabled every believer to minister in the lives of others we serve as priests where's your offering of people you've invested your life in Paul keeps on going there's so much here verse 17 he says in Christ Jesus then because I know, I know what you all are thinking. You're thinking, yeah, well, I hear all that ministry, and I hear those people that can do that. I just can't do that. I, I can't. I'm not gifted to invest in people, and I'm not gifted in certain things to really make a difference in the lives of people. This is what Paul says, verse 17. In Christ the, Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Why, Paul? For I will not venture to speak of anything except... What Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Stop right there. Don't read over that. Circle that. Highlight that. Mark that. Put a piece of gum there. Whatever you need to do, mark that. Here's how you see your ministry. Ready? We serve as priests. Number two, we serve as instruments. Paul says, listen. I'm so thankful in the way God has used me in the lives of Gentiles. He's used me to plant churches. He's used me to lead people to Christ. Listen, I'm not the Apostle Paul. I'm not an apostle like Paul. That's not the point. But in the same way, Paul says, I'm an instrument in the hand of God. Your ministry, whatever it looks like, whatever that investment in the lives of people, wherever that is, whatever that looks like now and for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years, Paul says, listen, see yourself as an instrument in the hands of God. You're not the artist. You are a paintbrush in the hand of the artist. 
So the idea of, I can't do this, I'm not equipped for this, I'm not capable of this, Paul says, time out. It's not you, it's Christ in you and what he's doing through you. Otherwise, you get paralyzed. Otherwise, the Christian life becomes spectator sport, and you're watching everybody else be active. You might be cheering on, and you're saying, well, it's not for me. I'm not called that way. I'm not equipped that way. Wrong. Every believer is called and equipped by, law, by God to minister into the lives of other people. What does that look like for you? Paul says you're an instrument. You serve as an instrument. I want, like Paul, for you, for you to be able to say, I'm so thankful God used me in the life of fill in the blank. I'm so thankful God has used me and I decided to be part of that life group. It was tough, it was hard, there wasn't chemistry there, it was awkward at times, but man, I hung in there, and God used me in the lives of those people. I'm so thankful I asked that coworker to go to lunch with me, and I was able to share the gospel, and he's been listening, and we're continuing these conversations. I'm so thankful I stepped into that ministry in our community. I'm so thankful I took on that challenge of leading that high school group of girls. So thankful I began to just read the Bible to my family at home. So thankful that I got past looking at myself and I realized, hey, I'm a vessel. Hand of God. Paul goes on, verse 18, says, I'm not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, through the Gentiles of obedience, by word and deed. End of verse 18, mark that, by word and deed. Here's another way Paul sees his ministry, the way we see our ministry, is it's a ministry we serve in integrity. Paul says, listen, my, my words and my deeds, my all of life I have seen as ministry. Here's what that means, the Apostle Paul. There's not church Paul, and there's not Paul at work. <laughs> there's not Sunday morning Paul, and there's Friday evening Paul. You know, you fill in the blanks. He said, there's word, there's deed, my life matches the message. You know, by the way, I, I see my whole life as ministry. I don't segment my life. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 8, you just mark this down. He says, he's speaking kind of the same vein. He speaks to this church at Thessalonica. He says, I have so fond affection of you. We were well pleasing to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives. Paul says, this thing, ministry, is my, it's my life. Investing in the lives of people. So we serve as priests. We serve as instruments. We serve with integrity. Paul, how do you see your ministry? Keep going, verse 19. By word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, Paul, as an apostle, in that particular time, his ministry was accompanied by signs and wonders. Say, Pastor Mike, can I ask for signs and wonders? That's not the point. Paul says, my ministry was accompanied by the power of God. Keep going, watch this now. By the power of the Spirit of God, I'm reading verse 19. By the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry in the gospel of Christ. That's a range of about 1,400 miles. Paul says, I've finished what God has called me to do. And here's been a distinguishing characteristic of the ministry of Paul. We've seen the power of God at work. Power of the Spirit. You say, I'm not an apostle. It's not the point. God promises power. God promises power 
to his disciples as we, you shall be my witnesses and you shall receive power. He says to Timothy, you have not received a spirit of fear, but of power. Just ask you a question. I'm telling you, I'm reading this this week and I get so convicted and I had to ask myself a question. Where's the power of God in my life? And I'm not talking about some fanciful vision from heaven that I go write a book and have a seminar about. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about things in my life that can only be explained by God. That God did it. God did it. I came to this conclusion. I wrote this down. It could be that we're not seeing the power of God in our lives because we're not attempting anything that demands the power of God in our life. You say, well, listen, when I feel really powerful, then I'm going to go witness to my coworker. It doesn't work that way. You and faith step out in Acts chapter 1 that says you will receive power and you will be my witness. Trust. I'm riding with my golf partner that I told you about, right? This pastor. Again, my golf game's awful, but man, I've learned it a lot. It, it, I said, I said, man, you've been in ministry all these years. What's been one of the secret ingredients to God using you? This church is massive. And all this. He said, listen, he said for the past 27 years, every Friday morning, I get up and meet with no less than 90 men and we're on our faces before God in prayer. Wore me out, man. Where, where are those times in your life and my life, like Paul's saying here, that you're on your face pleading for the power of God in your life? God, do something in me and through me that only you can do. Do something through my life that only you can do. It may be that people talk about it for years. It may be that nobody on earth sees it. But it is an offering back to God because He's worth it. Right? So here's your next one. We serve as priests, we serve as instruments, we serve with integrity, we serve in power. The power of the Spirit of God in us. Paul, how do you see your ministry? He continues on, verse 20, he says, and thus, he says, and thus I make it my ambition. Now you're hearing the passion of Paul. He says, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, the message of the gospel. Where, Paul? Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Paul was a pioneer. Paul had an apostolic spirit. He was gifted and called by God that way. But as it is written, those who have never been told will see him. And those who have never heard will understand. He's giving scriptural evidence to the fact Paul says, I have a calling to go make Jesus known where he's never been made known before. Paul, how do you see your ministry? I see myself as a pioneer not the gifting of everyone it's not the calling of everyone I understand that but Paul says I see myself as a pioneer my calling is not to go plant my life in the same place for 30 years that can be a good thing tenure in the same church is a great thing I hope God leaves me here until I die I want to be that's more of my gifting but Paul says there are some who will be raised up and the spirit of God has so enabled them that they will be sent out from where they are to where the place is saturated and they'll go to pioneer territory They'll go to new regions versus existing ones. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. We had different roles in the way the kingdom was working. Paul says, I am sent out as a pioneer to go where Jesus has never been named before. Here's what that means. 
There are some that will build upon a foundation. There are some that will just stack upon what is there. There are some that will go to new territory, pioneer territory. But here's what I think is the case. Left to ourselves, most of us just like to stay and stack. I think there are more, even in this church, who God is tugging on the heartstring, not to stay here and just pile up on one another, but you are being called to go and be sent out even from this church like Jake and Holly Hart, like Jake and Whitney Beverly. God give us more of them. Listen, I can go off on this. All right, so just hang with me. We've got a few more points. The statistics are staggering. The statistics tell us that the vast majority of workers and churches and resources in the world are concentrated in the southern United States. That ought to get to you. Somebody gave an illustration of it like this, and I'll never forget this, and you'll say, well, that's kind of crass, but you won't forget it. <laughs> it's like a pile of manure. Y'all know what manure is, right? Manure, when you spread it out, gives life. But when you stack manure upon itself, everything under it dies. I think there's a calling on some of us, and maybe you in this room, not to continue to stack on the work of others, but to go places where Jesus has never been named. And we as a church want to be a church that sends you. Sends you. We serve as pioneers. Big idea number five. Some will go. Some will send. All of us have a role to make Jesus known where he's not been made known before. Paul says, verse 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. That's the ends of the earth in that day. That's the edge of the known world. Paul says, I'm going to come through you. I'm, I'm on my way to Spain. He says this, and be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a little while. The word helped on my journey is a very technical term. Here's what it means. In those days, you would come. You'd be given resources for your journey. You'd be given a guide. Paul says, I want to come. I want to be encouraged by you. I want, to, I want your resources. I want to be sent from you. I want Rome to be the platform to reach the ends of the earth. That's what I want to be is Tri City. I'm going to continue to grow in that. That from here, men and women will be launched out to the ends of the earth to be pioneers in where Jesus has not been named before. To offer sacrifices to God because he's worth it. See that? Keep reading, we're almost done. Listen, we're going to knock out all seven. How about that? You ready? Ed is. Ed, you ready? Awesome. Now, this is, this is pretty incredible. Paul has just said, man, I can't wait to get to Spain. And I, I know that there, if you read some history on Spain during that day, there was a work of God that was going on there. But Paul knew he could step into that and he could, he could be a pioneer in that area. He was longing to get to Spain. That's, that's all he said. He said, I'm going to come to Rome. Y'all are going to send me to Spain. Look at verse 25. At present, however. Oh, this is challenging. At present, however. I'm going to Jerusalem. Now Paul, as he writes this, is in Corinth. Spain is to the west. Jerusalem is 500 miles in the other direction. He says, I'm longing to go to Spain because it's my passion, it's my ambition, it's my calling. 
but I'm not going to go there until I finish the responsibility God has given me now. It's incredible. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints who are there in Jerusalem. The church there in Jerusalem was known for its poverty. When Paul met with the apostles back in Acts 15, they said, listen, go, take the message to the Gentiles. We ask one thing of you, Paul, don't forget the poor in Jerusalem. Paul said, okay, you got my word. Now we're years later, Paul's ready to go, plant churches in Spain, but he has been collecting this offering as he's traveled through this 1400 mile region and now he has this offering to take to the church of jerusalem he says for they were pleased to do it these churches and indeed they owe it to them the jewish church there and then he goes into a little bit of understanding of what the gentiles really owe back to the jews and he says for if the gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings they ought to also be a service in their material blessings side note paul says we have a debt to the jewish people that's not his main thrust here but that's what he says He says, they ought to also be of service to them in material blessings. Verse 28, when therefore I have completed this. You might want to mark that in your Bible. And I got passions. I got stuff I can't wait to do. I think God's called me here. Maybe he is. Finish where God's put you. Finish the assignment God's given you now. He says, when therefore I have completed this and they have delivered them what has been collected, then I'll leave for Spain by way of you. Gosh, that's awesome. Here's your big idea, number six. I said we serve in power, we serve as, volunteer, or as pioneers. Big idea, number six. We serve in faithful obedience over our personal preference. Oh, man, I can't wait to do this. Oh, I have a passion about this. That's fine. Where's God assigned you today? Serve faithfully. Final one, and we'll wrap it up. He goes on in verse 30, skip down. He says, I appeal to you, brothers. This is such a personal letter here. Passion's just dripping out of it. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. So remember, Paul is in Corinth. He knows he's going to Jerusalem. He's just mentioned that he's probably going to be persecuted there. If you know the story, that's exactly what happens. They put him in prison, and he then travels to Rome, finally gets to Rome in stocks, and it's because of what happens in Jerusalem. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem, but I'm asking you to pray for me. Strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea or Jerusalem And that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there. Verse 32. So that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed and strengthened in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Here's your final big idea for this morning. God calls and enables every believer to minister in the lives of others. Here's big idea number seven. We serve God the body of Christ while being served by the body of Christ. Listen, if I could shout this any louder so that we would understand this, I would. Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going on to Spain. But man, I can't wait to get to you there in Rome. Rome. I need the body of Christ. I need your prayers I need your refreshment, I need your encouragement, I need your companionship, I need your fellowship. Listen, this is a huge principle for you and me in ministry in the local church. We serve the body of Christ while being served by the body of Christ. 
I can't tell you the number of times I've had this conversation. It goes like this. Well, you know, we're new here. Can't wait to get plugged in at church. Can't wait to find our area of service. Just tell us where to serve. That's not a bad thing. But I always want to come back and say, ho, 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 hold on. Man, we want you to serve. Here's my question for you. Where are you going to be served? Where are you going to connect that people are speaking into your life? How are you going to connect in groups and ministry so that you have people praying with you and for you? How are you a part of corporate worship? Listen, we're growing as a church and we're growing in our understanding of leadership. Our hope is if you are in ministry in this local church and you're serving in this local church in any way, it doesn't mean you can't come and worship with the body of Christ on Sunday morning. And you're going to be asked by those in leadership, hey, yeah, I'm serving and I'm moving and I'm shaking. All right. Tell me about your group. What group are you in? Who's serving you? Because we don't want to be, what's this? Burnout Baptist Church, right? Man, I'm serving the next six months. I'm all at it. Six months, if you're not connected in community, if you're not supported by the body of Christ, if you're not in community, if you're not in corporate worship, six months, you're going to be burned out. In a year, you're gone. That's the way it works. Paul says, I'm coming and I want to be refreshed by you. I want to be encouraged by you. Because Paul knew something. He was humble enough to know he needed the 